welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Well, it's good to be home. It's good to be home. It's good to be back. I was away for almost two weeks. Some of you know, uh, if not all of you, um, that my mother passed away just shortly. You know, it's only been uh, a little over a week now, and uh, we buried her this last Monday. But uh, I can't get over the amount of support, the amount of prayers, the amount of messages from this church. Uh, You've been wonderful. Thank you for the the encouraging messages and um, the prayers that we felt as a family as we gathered round, uh, was a real door of mercy that God gave us. Uh, I got there on a, a Saturday. I heard my mom had fallen severely ill and uh, got there on a Saturday. And God gave us almost a week together um, with all of us there. And if you knew the backstory to that story, just the fact that we were all in the same room together um, and having any semblance of any type of spirituality. Uh, it, is, it, was a, it was a definite uh, mercy of God. I can't describe it any other way. I've, I've had the, the, the blessing actually of being around a few people that have gone home to be with the Lord. And I have to say, this was, a very, this was, this was one of the uh, most touching moments I've ever seen and a testimony to the faithfulness of God. Uh, we had been in a long-standing family feud, if you want to call it that. For, and you know what I'm talking about if you've got family, uh, anything like my family, uh, with all of the, the different personalities and different wants and different desires for about five years. And um, I had given up hope that I would actually be there. It had gotten so, the rift had gotten so bad that I'd actually be able to be there for, for my mom's passing. She'd asked me to preach her funeral, uh, but unfortunately there were things that were in the way um, beyond my own control, beyond anything I could do. Uh, though I prayed and though I sought reconciliation, it didn't seem like it was going to happen. And then uh, I have to be honest, I, I, I could not have foreseen this happening. My faith was not there, that's for sure. And um, it was only a, a mercy of God to come in and the end of my mother's life and give her her last wish that we would all be together at peace and in forgiveness as she went to be with the Lord. And what we tried to work out in four to five years, God did in one day miraculously. And the, the dominoes fell. And uh, about two months before she went into this, uh, when her health really declined, uh, there was reconciliations, and I mean deep-seated hurts. Things were said that shouldn't have been said. Stances were taken that shouldn't have been taken. And uh, but you know what? God is so good. And you know sometimes we need to we need to believe that God's a little more a little more robust than just someone that that waits at the door to knock, asking for Him to come in, because He burst through the door, and He did something that nobody really wanted. 
but for his own testimony, for his grace. And that was one of the things that really bothered me is because God had done such a wonderful work in my mother. Uh, and it was grieving not only her condition, but the condition of our family and the condition of the testimony of Christ that God had started in her life. It had, it had really grieved me to think that this was going to be the ending. And I really didn't know what, how I was going to fit that into my theology. I just, other than that the Lord will, on the other side, make things right and reconcile all things to his will. But, you know, we were, we were very blessed that God sought to do that on this side and turn what was a defeat into a testimony of grace. All of my sisters, my, my mother's brother, his wife, uh, my stepfather uh, was there, and we were all around that bedside. There was a lot of I'm sorry's. There was a lot of I love you's. There was a lot of I forgive you's. And uh, in the end, you know, shortly before my mom went, my mom said, I want to see everybody in heaven. And I said, you know what, mom, I believe that the circle is going to be unbroken. I believe that everybody, that your life is touched and that has been impacted by the gospel will be there because God is faithful. And, um, and that was her request. And when she finally realized the doctor was, was able to tell her that she was going to go, she kept asking him, am I dying? And, uh, we really didn't have the prognosis, but the doctor came in and said, yes, Miss Morgan, you're going to die. Uh, you know, you would think that it would just make her afraid, but she sat back in the bed and a peace came over her. And uh, she said, I'm, I'm ready to go home. And we said, you're ready to go back to your house? She said, no, I'm ready to go home, home. And uh, we went into uh, her last moments of consciousness singing and worshiping and praying together. And uh, <laughs> on the day, on the day, on the day she passed, I felt like the time was near and I went over to her and the Holy Spirit quickened me and I just started to one more time speak the word of God to my mom and I just started quoting scriptures to her and talking to her and I can tell you this we have nothing to be afraid of when you are the Lord's he will walk with you right through the valley of the shadow of death there's nothing to be afraid of and I sat there for the first time really understanding that scripture that, that Paul says, we don't grieve like the world grieves. We don't. There's a sorrow. We all know that, that, that they'll be missed and, and things. But there's, there's, there's not that grief that this is a finality. I knew that my mother, I'd see her again. And I told her, I said, you wait for me and I'll be there soon. And uh, those were the, one of the last words I spoke to her, that she nodded in consciousness. And so I've got a, I've got a date to meet my mother on the other side, because I know she's rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. And uh, it just made heaven that much sweeter for us. And so we're thankful for your prayers. We're thankful for God. We're thankful for his mercy. Even when we don't deserve it, the grace of God comes to us and does things that surprise us sometimes and I'm so I'm so delighted and surprised at the work that God has done in the lives of my family uh, at that time so thank you for your prayers 
and thank you for, uh, for those messages and your support. Uh, this morning, I want to share something with you that I was really actually supposed to preach the Sunday before I, right before I left, or sorry, the Sunday that I left. I'd left on that Saturday, which is about two weeks ago. And um, it was something that the Lord uh, kept challenging me with, and, and uh, it was through a scripture episode in Jeremiah, uh, where Jeremiah is shown some things uh, as a prophet, as a young prophet, as God was teaching him how to discern God's voice and teaching him how to, uh, to, to hear God's voice very clearly because he was going to be called upon to, to know the will of God uh, in a time when there was so much confusion and there was, it was a time where there were so many different voices that were claiming to know the will of God. God had to teach him uh, and God showed him a few things in the first book of, of, of uh, first chapter, sorry, of Jeremiah. And he showed him a few things. And he said, Jeremiah, what do you see? And so this question kept coming into my heart. What do you see? What do you see? And, uh, you know, as I was just pondering that, the Lord just began to open that up to me and uh, really began to challenge my own heart uh, in, in faith, challenge my own faith my own heart uh, in places where I wasn't seeing very clearly. And so um, I want to share some of that with you today. And I want to talk to you about a new vision for a new people. How many of you know we're a new people? Amen. We're going to talk about that out of Corinthians today. We're a new people and we have been reconstituted. We have been given new life. And with that new life, there's a new vision. There's a new way of looking at things. There's a new way of seeing things. And uh, God has called us to see as he sees, to hear as he hears, and to call things as they are as he sees them and what he's called them to be. And that's the faith walk of a Christian, uh, really, is to have this vision that is not moved by the things around it, but, but sees things as God sees them. And uh, this is a word I feel like the Holy Spirit is, is challenging me and I believe is challenging us. I, uh, I can only say us because I feel like this is a corporate message, a corporate word, uh, as the Holy Spirit is continually leading us and developing us as a church in a very darkened generation uh, into a growing gospel-centered culture. I believe that God is doing that. God is growing us and he is maturing us. And, and as we are growing in this house, all of us together, how many of you know that the leadership is growing too, right? And we should be, amen? None of us have arrived. We're constantly growing. We're constantly learning, and God is developing us as well. And as we are growing, uh, God is growing us into something that is, that is more fully formed, uh, something that, uh, that, uh, that the, the, the real desires of the Holy Spirit uh, can be manifested in, uh, can, be, can be walked out in our lives in the fullness of the gospel. So God is at work in us corporately and personally uh, to develop this gospel culture, this gospel-centered around a gospel. There's one faith, there's, there's one message around that, and there's one church, there's one community. There's not a bunch of different churches. There's only one community. There's one gospel community. Uh, as God sees it, he doesn't see a lot of signs over the doors and different things. And different. He sees one body that's been cleansed by one blood 
called into one faith, and that's how God sees things. And I've been reminded again and again of, of what God has said in Isaiah about the, the people that would, that, would, that would be set free, that they would be those repairers of the breach, then they would restore waste places. And that's, that's what we're called to. We are called to be repairers of the breach. We are called to live as a testimony in a dark and broken world. And we are, we are called, first of all, to be made whole and to share that wholeness and to make that wholeness known and to invite people into that, into reconciliation. We are those ambassadors of wholeness and we are, we are uh, messengers of that. And God is building that up. And, and one of those things I believe that he is doing is he's turning this house, not that it, that it wasn't, I think he's only strengthening and making it better. He's turning us into a greater house of love and charity that builds people up that restores people, that encourages people, uh, that offers hope and direction and healing in our community. And, and this reality uh, that, that, want, that God wants to connect into, into the world for the world to see, it's got to begin here. How many of you know that? That love has to begin in the house. Before, before it overflows into the world, it's got to begin here. Charity begins at home. Paul said that, or, or I think it was Paul, he said that, said that, that even to begin first at the household of faith, if you see someone in need, it's the first port of call right here. This is where we are to flesh out the gospel. We are to live in a redemptive way towards one another. We are to love one another in a redemptive way, in a positive way. We are to edify one another. We are to speak things into each other's lives that build up and, and doesn't tear down. So it's, it's imperative. It's imperative that we seek to obey and, and fulfill the command of Christ that we love one another as he loved us. That is not a side note. It's not an option. You know, there, there are things that we might look at as optional. There are things that we might look at as, as kind of, well, I'll take this and, and, and not really that. But you cannot... Uh, remove yourself from this mandate as a Christian to love your brother and to love your sister and to love one another as Christ has loved us. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. Every believer and every time is called to love one another. It's, it's, it's what Jesus has spoken. It's an imperative. It's a directive. It's not a side note. And, and it was to be the very thing that marks us out. If you read in Scripture, Jesus was very clear. Paul was very clear. Uh, the, the, the thing that, that shows the, the, the most demonstrative uh, reality, that shows the, tr the transformational power of the Holy Spirit more than any other dynamic, is that this house is to be a house where love dominates. Did you hear me? Paul says when he talks about spiritual gifts, he goes right into that love chapter. That's embedded right into the middle of their worship and their expression of their giftings and their callings. He says you can have all those things. You can speak like an oracle. You can have revelation like a prophet. You can have tongues like angels. But if you lack love, you're nothing. Because it's the love. It, it, it is, it's, that, it's that very presence of God because God is love. You can't separate it. 
You can't separate spiritual giftings from love. You can't separate talent from love. It all operates out of faith and love. And the greatest of those, Paul says in the end, is love. It's the greatest thing. The most spiritual people are the people that love the best and that that have found that place in God's heart and, and that overflowing channel of God's love to be a conduit of the love of God. It's where we derive strength. It's where we derive comfort. It's, it's where we, we get blessing from one and to one another. And Jesus said it plainly, that the world will know you're my disciples, not from your gifts and your talents and your abilities or your doctrines, but by the love you have one to another. Paul calls again and again for brotherly love to abound. Wow. To abound in brotherly love one towards another. And I believe that God's people loving one another and loving the lost is the greatest witness to a darkened world without Christ. I believe that. The Bible is clear that this is not to be in word only. Right? You read that in the book of James. How how does the love of God dwell in you? The book of 1 John. James says, if you see your brother in need and you say, God bless you, have a great day, pat him on the back and send him on his way, and you don't meet their need, he says, how does the love of God dwell in you? It can't dwell in you. You can't sit back and watch people come in and out in need every week and, and, and have that kind of love in your heart that, that, that God uh, desires. You can't do that. If you have the love of God in your heart for people, you're going to have to express it. You're going to have to show it. More than just a text, more than just a phone call, more than just I'm praying for you and I hope you have a good day. There's an involvement. There's a sowing of your life into other people's lives. Jesus calls us to have skin in the game. Jesus calls us to commit. And, And this is missional. We are on a mission not only to reach this world because there are loads of people that love to reach the world, but yet the, the house or, or the, the organizations that they, they, they serve under or, or, or with have no representation of love working for them. They, they evangelize, but there's no love in their hearts. And I've seen it. I've been around ministries like that. They'd love to tell you about Jesus, but they have no love in their heart. God's calling us to love. God's calling this house to love like never before. It's a looking after one another, a concern for each other that motivates us to step out and to step up to meet needs and help in times of trouble. And folks, I believe in the coming days, as things move closer and closer to Christ's return, we are going to be led into seasons where we will need the care and the love of the body of Christ more than ever before. You're going to need me, and I'm going to need you. You're going to need somebody uh, to, to come to your aid. You're going to need you know, things. You're going to need help, and I'm going to need help. And, and that was a mark of the overcoming early church. They were filled with such love for one another that, that when they were being persecuted, when they were suffering loss, as Paul or the writer of Hebrews says, they lost things. They lost their businesses, their houses, their families. What did they do? Did they just leave one another out on a limb like that? No. The Bible says that they came together and no one went without. 
They were involved in each other's lives. They were praying and they were caring and they were meeting each other's needs. Now that's all in scripture. And we're to foster that love and affection in this body. We're to foster that. And so I want to just talk a few minutes to you about the challenge from scripture to see each other in a different light. New vision for a new people. New vision for a new people because to love this kind of way, we've got to change the way we view each other. We've got to change our, the way we look at things. We've got to, our value systems have to be reworked and, and the Holy Spirit has to do a work in our heart that we begin to see each other differently. That we begin to, to, to look at each other differently. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 17. We're going to read this for today's message. If you have your Bibles, you can read it with me. But I'm going to start at verse 1. And this is the, this is the NLT version. So bear with me here. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, and this is Paul speaking in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, to the Corinthians, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies as, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. How many of you know that you have been, you have been prepared? God has prepared you for a change. God has, God has kitted you out for a supernatural change. I stood there with confidence at the graveside committal to my mother and I read out of Corinthians 15 where Paul says, we are gonna sow this body of weakness into the ground, but it's gonna be raised incorruptible. I know because of the work that Jesus Christ did in my mother's life, she is gonna be reconstituted for heaven. I know that she was going to have change. She was going to put on incorruption because the Bible is very clear about that. And here Paul says that we are, there is something about us that God has done and our bodies. There is something new that God has done in us currently. We have been born again and our bodies will ultimately catch up to that one day and we will be new as we are renewed already. How many of you know you were new when you were born again? Something new happened inside of you. Something new, a new life came in. The Holy Spirit came in. And you were made new. What we're going to read there in just a moment in this, in this wonderful chapter. We were made new and ultimately your body is going to catch up to that newness. And John says we will be like him. As, as we see him, we will be like him eventually. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is witnessing in our hearts that there's a change coming, that we will be reconstituted, that there's a newness already living in us, and there's a newness that will come, redemption complete. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. 
For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, verse 8, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we would be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Is that your goal? Is that your desire, to please him? Verse 10, for we must all stand before Christ and not be judged, or before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. Now this is Paul talking about his apostolic calling. That he says, we understand my responsibility. I've taken that on with, with, with fear and respect to the Lord. We work hard to persuade others. Paul says, I labor more than anybody else. I work hard because grace is working in me. I'm working hard because I know I have a responsibility and a duty and a calling to tell others about Christ. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us. So you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Now, Paul is starting to get into what I want to talk to you about uh, today. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Verse 16 and 17. This is what I want to look at. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Can you say amen? amen? So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Paul says, I've taken on a heavenly viewpoint. I've taken on a heavenly vision when I look at people. I don't look at people the way that I used to. I look at them differently. Listen to what he says. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. Verse 17, and I've never read this in context of this verse. I've always heard this quoted in a way to bring comfort or, or to encourage someone to become a Christian. But I've never looked at it in the context of encouraging the body to have new vision one towards another. Paul says, I've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Why? This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Paul begins this chapter writing about looking at life in light of eternity. And eternity's light causes us to see everything different. Everything differently. I don't know about you, but if you remember when you were born again, it just seemed like the green was greener, the blue was bluer, the red was redder. It seemed like you could hear every bird and you could enjoy every song. It just seemed like everything shifted and changed when Jesus came in. There was a newness given. There was something alive in our lives. And, and you, know, you know what I'm talking about if you've experienced that and had that as part of your Christian experience. When Christ comes in, everything changes. It causes us to evaluate ourselves and our lives very differently. 
You know, when Jesus came in, you know, I had a lot of negative thoughts about myself. I had a lot of low self-esteem. But when he came in, he began to tear down those strongholds. He began to rework the way that I thought about myself, the way that I looked at myself, the way that I looked at my future was now looking through the lens of the gospel and no longer through the evaluation. I was no longer evaluating myself the way that I did before as worthless, as hopeless, as not having a future. Now I saw that I was worth something. I saw that I had a future. I saw that I had value. I could see that. And and not only are we to view our own lives very differently, we are called upon to evaluate others differently. Can you say amen? Amen. Look at what Paul says here. I love this. The reason I chose the NLT because I love the wording. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Wow. Have you stopped evaluating others from a human point of view? It's very quiet. Because I can tell you I haven't. I hold my hand up. I, I, it is something that's very difficult to do. It's something that requires faith. It's something that requires a relationship with the Holy Spirit to see as God sees to, to look beyond what is apparent, to look beyond what is on the surface and to see something greater at work in someone's life. It requires faith. It requires a looking into something that is more than that person, that is more than their faults, that is more than their strengths, that is more than their weaknesses, that is more than their abilities, but is to look past that and to see something glorious to see something of God, to see something that God has done. And this is the challenge that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring to us today. That when we come into this house, that we look at each other, not from a human point of view, but from a heavenly point of view. God doesn't want us looking at each other from a human point of view. In that lower level of thinking, God wants to elevate our thinking towards one another. God wants to change our belief systems about one another. God wants to rid our our hearts of suspicion, of judgment, of evaluation, and begin to look through the lens of the gospel at one another in this house. Paul says, I've stopped looking at people the way I used to look at people. I used to evaluate people based on performance based on ability, based on status, based on education, based on weaknesses, based on certain metrics. Did they falter? Where have they gone wrong? Where could they improve? But now I've thrown those metrics out the window. That's what Paul says. I've thrown those metrics out the window because I realize God has not caused me to look at people through those and evaluate people in that way. That God is calling me to a higher realm of thinking, a higher way of viewing one another. God has called us to throw out the metrics of this world and begin to look to the metrics of heaven. To begin to look through the, the, through the windows and the eyes and the lens of the gospel that we begin to believe better things about one another. 
that we begin to believe for one another for better things, that we begin to look past and over what is obvious, that we're all weak and that we all stand in need of grace. That's the obvious. It doesn't take a doctor. It doesn't take a a spirit of discernment to show that I'm weak. I need help. No, it takes faith to look past that outward expression and that outward brokenness and to see the work of God going on in someone. And that's what we're called to do. This is what we are called to do. We are called to look past what is apparent. It doesn't take, like I said, it doesn't take a rocket science scientist or, or, or a behavioral scientist to, to look at the, and, and to spot all the flaws. Amen? It doesn't take a, a psychiatrist to pick out the weaknesses. No, they're very apparent. They're there. That's why we're here in church. That's why we're here, because we are a group of people that are admitting and coming into the light and saying, I need help. We are a group of people that are that when we come in here and worship, we are saying, I don't have it all together. I'm going to a God that does have it all together. That's our proclamation. If we're getting up and coming to church on Sunday and, and we're thinking that our proclamation is, bless God, I've got it all together. I've done everything. I've fulfilled everything. You're coming to the wrong building. Because that is not, this is the house of the redeemed. This is the house of, the, of, of broken men made whole. This is the house of those that are weak being strengthened. This is the house of those that are in desperate need of God in their lives. And that's what we confess when we meet together. And that we are standing in the need of grace. That we are standing in the need of a continual flow of mercy and triumph and victory that is only found in one person. And his name is Jesus. That's what we confess. That's our confession when we come in here. Paul says, I used to evaluate people that way, but I stopped. I've relinquished my role as a judge and as a critic, and I've now taken on a new lens. I see people differently. I don't see them with mere human understanding. How did he see them? Look at the end of this verse. Uh, at this verse 16, and then we'll look at 17. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This is what he says. This means that anyone, say with me, anyone. Are you anyone? Hallelujah. Are you, do you fit into that, anyone? Thank God I do. Anyone. That anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Say, I'm anyone. And I belong to Christ. Hallelujah. Say it again. I'm anyone. And I belong to Christ. Hallelujah. This is when he says, the old life is gone. A new life has begun. I'm now compelled to look at people differently. That's what Paul says in the NLT. I love it. I love the, I love the wording. Paul says, we used to look at Christ one way from the human side. He was to be our Messiah. He was to be a conqueror. He was to rid us of earthly oppression. He was to be filled with vengeance and justice. And he was here to rule with a rod of iron. 
putting everyone in fear and subjection to his awesome power and holiness. That's how they looked at Jesus through the scriptures. That's so he says, I had a view of Christ at one time. I had this view of him that, that was biblical, you could say, that he was going to come and rule the nations with a rod of iron, that he was going to purge the floor with his holy fire, that he was going to bring vengeance on the sinners and he was going to reward the righteous. That was their view. That was what they saw. That's what Peter and all of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, believed, that this was their view pre-cross, pre-Pentecost. But, but Paul says, but oh my, how differently we see him now. Hallelujah. We see him crucified as a lamb. We see him humble, giving himself freely for us all on the cross. We see justice and wrath poured out on him instead of him pouring out vengeance and justice on sinners. We see him broken and beaten and raised in newness of life. We see him standing in sonship and the Father, fully loved and loving people. We see him full of grace and full of compassion, not turning away any that would come to him for rest. We see him as a caring, loving shepherd now, a faithful high priest standing and interceding for us. That's what Paul says. God gave me a revelation of who Jesus is. And I believe that we need that same revelation, not only to see Christ, but to see one another. You need that revelation, that, that kind of same understanding. Paul says, God gave me a revelation of Christ, and in doing so, he gave me a revelation of the body. He showed me something that wasn't apparent, that, that he, had to, he had to open my eyes. Paul says, basically, just as we needed a revelation to see Jesus with new eyes, we need that same revelation to look at one another the way that God sees us. You need a revelation of who your brother and sister actually are in Christ. You need a revelation of not what you see, but the way God sees we need a, it needs to come from the heart of God. We need the Lord to open our eyes. We quote this verse as a promise a lot of times for people that we are sharing the gospel with. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But that is not what this verse is here for. It's there. We can use it for that. But in context, Paul is encouraging the, the Corinthians to look at one another differently. Hear that. It isn't a promise to the unbeliever. It's a call for believers to look at each other differently. We don't evaluate each other apart from the cross. Apart from what Jesus has done. The same way we have to look at ourselves in the gospel, we're called to look at each other the same way. I've got to get up in the morning and look at myself and not evaluate myself according to my own metrics. I've got to look at myself differently. And God says the same way you look at yourself in the gospel, you've got to look at each other differently. You've got to look at each other through the lens of the gospel. I can't evaluate you based on what I see. Because you know what? God's not finished with you. Amen? Sometimes, and I'm not saying all, it's always this way, but sometimes people seem to go, be going backwards before they're actually, you know, they're actually going forward. Sometimes it seems like people are getting weaker. 
it seems like they're going in the wrong direction, but, but God is at work in their life to bring them to a dependence and to bring them to a place of faith. And if we judge too soon, and if we look too critically at that, we might just miss it. We might just even discourage the work that God is doing in somebody's heart. I can't judge you based on my own human understanding. No, this verse becomes my lens to view everyone in this room. I must look at each one of you with the eyes of revelation. And it's here, I believe, is the key to all victory, unity, and love in the body. I have to put on gospel glasses when I come to church. Because let me tell you something. You're not here looking for the finished person. None of us are there. You're here to look at the finished work. Amen. You're, you're here to look at the finished work. There's no finished people here. The finished work is what we look at. That's the gospel lens. So it removes this kind of feeling like I've got to, you know, uh, uh, and, and even knowing that you're being looked at, feeling that judgment coming. You've all been there. I've been there. I've been on the receiving end and I've been on the giving end. I confess to that. In, in my not so gospel centered days of living, you know, I, we can all fall prey to that, looking at people and judging. But, but the Holy Spirit is calling us to a different place of viewing one another and loving one another. It's here, I believe, that we, we come, this is where real unity is. I must look at you the way the Father looks at the Son. Wow. That is, you're talking about a high calling. I've got to look at you the way that God looks at the Son. Why is that? Because that's the way that God looks at us. <laughs> wow. Holy, blameless, loved, completely righteous. You, know, you ever notice some people call judgment discernment? You ever notice that? They think that they have some inside track into people's lives. They think it's the Holy Spirit to be able to point out flaws, to know people's weaknesses. It, it, you know, but I just want to tell you this. It's not your gift to see people's brokenness and expose it. That's not a spiritual gift. That is not a gift of the Holy Spirit because that is not what the Holy Spirit does with us. He doesn't point out our brokenness and our weaknesses, and exposes us. That is not his heart. It is his heart to cover, and to love, and to redeem. That's the heart of the Holy Spirit, is to, to move in unison with what the, cop, the cross has accomplished. He'll never be out of step with what the cross has accomplished. He's always going to be working in, in, in perfect unison with what the cross accomplished in our lives and what Jesus accomplished in our lives. If you think that you have the spirit of discernment and you're picking apart people, you need to go back to God in prayer because that's the wrong spirit. It's not his spirit. How can the Holy Spirit ignore the work of the cross? How can the Holy Spirit point to anything under the blood of Christ? It's the work of the flesh to point out flaws, to bring up weaknesses, and to always be operating in a realm of suspicion and doubt of where people are in their walk with God. It is faith and love that believes all things and hopes all things, that sees things that are not as though they were. Look at Jesus and Peter. When Jesus called Peter, he says, 
I'm telling you, your name is Petros, little, little rock, but I'm going to make you into a rock. I'm going to change your life. I, I, I'm going to call you. I'm, I'm calling you Peter. I'm calling you stable. I'm calling you a rock. And people would have looked at that and thought, what are you on about? Do you know this guy? We go fishing with him every day. He's a loud mouth. He thinks he deserves the best all the time. He's, you know, he's always constantly stepping on everybody's toes. He's, you know, him stable. Jesus says, yeah, I'm calling him stable. But we don't see that, Jesus. Well, it's not for you to see. I'm God. I'm the creator. I call those things that are not as though they are. That is my job, not yours. Your, your job is just to agree with me and to believe me and to trust that he will be Peter, that he will be stable, that I'm going to do a work in his life and you're there just in prayer support and love and grace to gather around him. That's all I want you for. I don't need your diagnosis of Peter. I know all of his faults, and his faults but I am calling him this. There should be tremendous grace in this house and I think that there is. I'm starting to close. Tremendous room to grow, tremendous room to bring your weaknesses into the light and ask for prayer and help without fear of condemnation and judgment. We trust in a mighty Savior and a mighty covenant that is powerful and that is strong, that doesn't shy away from difficulty. I saw that when I went into that situation with my mother. I saw, man, this grace is robust. This salvation, man, it is powerful. It, it goes against, it does things even against people's will and what they would want to do. It bursts through that and it does some amazing things. It conquers where, where sin is conquered. It goes and conquers and does things. We have to trust that this is a mighty God working in a people that are weak and that he, he will have his way. If we're to walk in love, we're to, must have first adjust our view of each other. We must look higher, believe better things, love more. I'm going to close with this. Here's some things to consider in walking this out. Seeing a new you means there's some hard and fast imperatives. I must give you the same grace that God has given me. I must give you the same grace that God has given me. I can't hold on to any offense. I don't have a special right to do that. I've got to offer it up. It hurts sometimes. It's not fair sometimes. It's not, we feel, you know, we may never get the justice that we deserve, but we are called not to carry offense one to, towards another, and we must forgive the same amount that God has forgiven us. Number two, I must relinquish all rights to evaluate you outside of the gospel. You have to lay down any right you feel to evaluate another person's life. Paul says, who are you to judge another man's servant? Did you die for them? Did you give your life for them? Paul says, no, no. You, you, you don't have the right to judge another Christian. You don't have the right to stand in judgment over someone's life and to evaluate them outside of the gospel. Now, I'm not talking about true gospel discernment. Hear me. Paul laid down some, you know, some 
he had to address some things in love, and, and love will speak in truth. But what I'm talking about is this, is, is looking at people and tearing them down and, and suspicion and judgment. You don't have that right. I don't have that right. I don't have a right to look at you any other way than the way that God sees you. What God has cleansed, who can call it unclean? Hallelujah. You can try to, but it won't work. You can try and pin the tail on the donkey, but it'll just fall off. You can, you can put things that are true about me all over me. You can say things that may not, you may not even like, but I'm the Lord's servant and you're the Lord's servant. And God says, how can you call that which is clean, unclean? We've got to relinquish those rights. A couple of more, I'm closing. I must value you with the same value that God has placed on you. You hear that? I must value you with the same value that God has placed on you. These are, folks, this is a high calling. It's a, it's a different mindset. It's a different value system. I've got to value the same way that God has valued you. Not look over you. Not look past you. Because you don't have a proper education or you don't work here and you don't work there or you don't have money or you do have money. All of that goes out the window when you come in the house of God. I have to value you because God has placed a value on you. And I've got to share God's value system. The last thing, I must agree with the word God has spoken over your life. I must agree with that. Hallelujah. I must, agree. I must come into agreement with the things that God has spoken over your life and speak those things into your life and encourage those things into your life and edify you in those things and build you up in those things and speak over you. There have been so many times, you know, I, I won't mention names, but there, there are a couple of people here, you know, that have, that have, you know, when you get the wrong view of yourself, and you start sharing that, and they, they start ministering to the life that's within you, the calling that God has placed on you. And they start believing better things for you, even that you believe about yourself. There's something contagious about that when people begin to reach in. And that pilot light, that, that, that little flame may be very small, but they, they reach in. And this is what we're supposed to do with one another. You know, Jesus talked about his ministry, not quenching a smoking flax or a bruised wreath. We have a ministry of reaching in. And that, that light may be very, very small, but we are to minister to that. And we are to speak into that. Even past, some of you are here and you're in desperate shape in the way that you're living. But I want to minister to what God has put into you because I know God has put some things into you. You may not be living up to that right now. You may be going in the wrong direction, but I want to minister into that life and speak life into you. God has called you and you can't forget it. God has destined you to walk with him and you can't walk away from it. God has a plan for you and you, you've not spoiled it for the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. God is going to see you through. God is going to finish that work in you and he's going to uphold the work that is his. That is the gospel. That is the narrative that we need to be sharing with one another and we need to build into each other's lives these things because the Bible says love edifies. 
Hallelujah. Stand with me. Folks, this is, this is a calling for the church. For God to touch our, the way we view one another. It's going to take some time. I'm sowing in faith. But I'm believing God will do it. Amen. I believe that we're sowing these seeds and the Holy Spirit's going to water them and they're going to grow. That's what I believe. But how many of you want to believe, how many of you would rather live like that than to walk around being critical, being negative, not believing? How many of you are tired of that? I'm tired of that. You ever, you ever fall into that trap? It is awful. It is awful. You know what? I want to believe for better things for myself and for you. I want to relinquish my rights to evaluate you outside of the gospel. I want to value you the way that God values you. And I want to agree with God's word that he's spoken over your life because it is powerful. It is powerful. It is powerful. And I want to stir up the gift within you that God has put within you. Some of you are not exercising your gifts. Some of you are, are laying off to the side for whatever reason or another. But God wants to stir up those gifts in you because he values you and you're needed in this house. Amen. Let's pray today and then we're going to sing and then we're going to close. Father, I thank you that we don't have to see others through our own human understanding. I thank you that you have given us new sight. And I pray, Father, in this house, in this house that we would look at people differently. We would see people differently. We would see the potential in people. We would see the giftings in people. We would see, Father, the, the heart in people that may be buried under anger or frustration or shame. We would, we would be those that feed that flame and inspire that flame. God, I pray that this would be a house of love a house that you build up, a house that you stir up, that when we come in here together, that we're coming and Lord, we are building one another up on our most holy faith, that we can feel truly like this is family, that, that there's nothing hidden and we don't have to hide in shame in your house, but we can come in knowing that one person has my back and, and I've got that person's back and we have each other. God, do it in us, Lord. Give us new vision. Touch our eyes. Forgive us where we've, we've been obstinate and stubborn and, and we've, we've refused to see as you do. Holy Spirit, cleanse us today. Wash us today, Lord. Help us to see as you see, to love as you love. Pour out your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Say amen with me today. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.